Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grades, the comedy horror episode. Our first full episode of 2021, as in our first challenge episode. Uh, you've got me, the ever lovely Mercer, and I'm also with the two other people who work with me. <laughs> My co host, Faye. Hello. And Christopher. Hello. Thank you, Christopher. We're out no Chris today. Most of me's business, that's what it is. He's come to play. To be fair, I think we all came to win this episode. It's it's momentous, isn't it? It's the first episode of the year. Mm-hmm. We all want that first crown, and we've almost all picked perfect movies. And I'm really sorry, guys, when you're going to be disappointed next week because I win. So I'm just getting my sorries in now. That's cool. I appreciate it. The enthusiasm, fear. You've got to be confident about something in life, haven't you? We trust that. <laughs> anyway, are we both okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, this year seems to have gone in a week, weirdly enough. <laughs> oh, that's... We won't talk about how, obviously, you know, the world is burning within one week of it being 2021. I'm not, I don't think we need to get into that, but... Hello, 2021. It does feel like we're living in a in a really shitty kind of purge slash yeah. contamination movie. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? But, you know, that's the world. What we can say, though, is because I think it's momentous. Momentous is obviously my word of the day right now. I think it's momentous that Donald J. Trump has been forever banned from Twitter. Ah! <laughs> that is awesome. That is really cool. Yeah, 2021. It's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment from Twitter that I wholly appreciate. Other than the exciting week, have we done anything? Um, watched anything? Seen anything? Got any groundbreaking news? No, absolutely, no, absolutely nothing this week. Burning my way through the office again because why wouldn't you want to? You know, American or UK? American. But. Oh, so- but there's nothing wrong with the UK one. I'm not having you say a bad word against it. It's amazing in an entirely different way. Just not interested in watching it, but um, I was really sad when I finished the US version. Well, if genres have got anything exciting to talk about, shall we actually move on to, to something that is really exciting, which is this week's episode and this week's picks. Shall we? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Well, before we go into our picks and the one and mine, which will win, just to get out <laughs> there. You both already said it, so I'm going to throw it out there as well. We did ask our fans and throw it out to the general Twitterverse, see what they thought, see if they had any suggestions for their favourite comedy horror. To be fair, I only put this out a few hours ago, full disclosure, and a load of people have come back to me. So either they don't have a lot to do on a Saturday or... They just die-hard fans. They it's go, a, yes, we want to help. It's the popular genre. It is a popular genre. So, at Sandy75Mars weighed in with Severance, Shaun of the Dead, What We Do in the Shadows, Dead Snow. Yes. Here's a hint. None of them, while absolutely brilliant, made it as our picks into the show. Give you a few of us. So, Salted Popcorn came in also with What We Do in the Shadows and Shaun of the Dead. Also, Vamp. American Werewolf in Lan- London and Landon. <laughs> you're London. <laughs> you sound like you're from yeah. London. <laughs> I've, 
I don't know why I paused. I just I was just speaking as I do normally. So American Wealth in London. He also recommended Double Date, which mm-hmm. I was very very close to picking when I saw it at Fright Fest this year in one of them gaps where there was absolutely no films that I thought was worth watching. I went and saw Double Date, and it's absolutely brilliant. Great film. Scared Sheepless weighed in with Extraordinary and What We Do in the Shadows. Great film. I think we know that if we'd have opened this up to the public, what the four films yeah, we'd have been discussing <laughs> is off of this. My Swedish friend podcast said, any of the Nightmare on Elm Street? I mean, some of them. <laughs> some of them. You know, I, I don't think they're wrong. No, there's some, there's funny moments all through. Well, the later ones especially. But... What did our old friend Gaskell say? Gaskell said he's sending some love for Suburban Gothic. Yay. Again, brilliant, brilliant film. Love it. Got a massive poster for it that at some point I'll get in a frame since it's an actual cinema print. I'm not, I'm not sure if we put up a picture of Matthew Grey Goobler in the house, you would get anything done. I'm not sure you would be able to tear your eyes away from his masculine slash feminine form. <laughs> He's a beautiful, talented man. <laughs> and finally, Andrew Barron, so at Mr. Blunderbuss, came in with Vamp, which we watched recently, or not, I say recently because time now has no construct. And just all blurs into one. But watched Vamp not that long ago and actually really, really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Can I just quickly say that that username is brilliant and reminds me of the Michelin web sketch where they're taking on Dirty Harry, but it's in the old days. It's how many times will I discharge my blunderbuff? I'd just like to say some some great, great comedy horror choices there, actually. Surprising that I've got a massive fan of comedy horror. There's quite a few of them like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, despite what you've picked there, I completely forgot that you would pick this film, even though you picked it. Mm-hmm. And I was fully expecting for you to make me either watch What We Do in the Shadows or Shaun of the Dead. Which would have been no bad thing. They're not my favourites, as you know. Thankfully, this podcast isn't based on what's your favourite, and rather what's everybody's choice. It's kind of based on what's our favourite. If we've learned anything over the past year, it's that Mercer favourites are absolutely nobody's favourites. And that anybody else's favourites are not Mercer favourites. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going to say as well, well done, Gaskell, um, for bringing up Suburban Gothic. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm going to go into my choice of film. I might have just misled you a little bit, um, indicating that it was Suburban Gothic. It isn't. It's actually another Richard Bates Jr. film, and it's the 2016 Incredible Trash Fire! Richard Bates Jr. Anything he ever does. My past favourite, Matthew Greg Uber. Well, this is a film that contains a lot of favourites for us, Mm. and these people have been in quite a few of the films that we've picked. So, obviously, we've got Richard Bates Jr. We've had Excision on the show before for Body Horror Fair, which should have done a lot better than it did. Absolutely. Um, We've got an amazing cast. I'm not going to start with the leads because these are typical, but, you know, we've got Annalyn McCord in in this film. We've got Matthew Gray Grubler in this film. And then we've got some absolutely amazing performances from Adrian Grenier, I think you pronounce it. You do. Angela Trimble and um, Fionnula. Fionnula Flanagan. Um, as As kind of the three... Um, leads in this film. So, quick synopsis, just so that everyone's on the same page. 
Uh, what we've got, we've got Owen and Isabella were in a very, very toxic relationship. Very toxic. It's vile, but I love them. Um, Owen's got lots of troubles. He lost his family um, or his parents in a house fire and his sister was severely disfigured. 80% of her body was burned. And he's just struggled through his life. He's got a drink problem. He has fits. He's bulimic. And he's a complete twat. Um, and he ends up getting Isabel up duff. Um, and then decides he wants to turn his life around. And Isabel's like, right, we're going to we're gonna get you to reconnect with your family, your grandma and your sister. And then we just get this weird relationship film. It's just intense. It's it's not a like outright like ha 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 I'm gonna make you laugh comedy. It's like a black comedy. But Richard Bates Jr. just writes some of the best stuff that I've ever heard. And I've said this before and I'll say it a million times. The the way he gets his actors to perform and to deliver that content is unbelievable. I've seen pretty much most of the people that are in his films in other things. And uh, don't judge me. I love you. I love you now, people. But, you know, as far as performances go, I've always felt that they've always been like a little blur or a little over the top or there's something off. But when, when they're in a big studio film, everything is just perfect. That makes sense. Aren't you like number one entourage fan? So no, I'm kidding. No, no. see that. That's that's one thing I would say. I love, I love Trash Fire. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Saying about getting performers out of people, Adrian Grenier, Richard Bates Jr. must went. Oh, imagine you're on Entourage because Grenier only has one way of acting. But he does it well in this. He, he does. Really does. does well. I love the. I'm not slagging his performance. I'm not slagging the film because I absolutely adore it. But I'm just saying he's a man who, if you need, if you need something different from what he does in everything else, you're not going to get it from him. Well, I mean, you see, I disagree because, especially in the dinner scene, I think he pulls something out of him that is, that shows this detachment from his family, and I think it shows something deeper than. Like you said, and other things I've seen him in, I think he's far better performing in this. I legitimately think that Richard Bates Jr. does pull things out of his actors that I've not seen before. Not literally. I guess... <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen loads of things before. No, but I mean, I guess it's an opinion, though. Uh, and that's, that's the good thing about life. We have opinions, and we're all allowed to express them. Um Chris, and I, I embrace your opinion on this character, and I'm sure you'll embrace my opinions when we speak later about your films. You're mistaking it for me having to go out being a bad actor. I'm not. He's, he's great in this. The film's great, but he only has one style of way he can act. So you disagree with me? Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, um, you know, again, uh, I've not seen him in loads of stuff. So I've only seen him, like, and I've not seen a lot of Entourage. Um, but I've only seen him in a few things, and I just think he's a lot better in this. As with any Richard Bates Jr. comes the shit-hot, dark-as-fuck script. And this, <sighs> this film has it in buckets. I mean, some of the stuff that um, Adrian's character comes out with in this is quite frankly disgusting if i'm honest it's horrible he's a horrible horrible human being in it 
But obviously, as you go along, you get to see why he's that way, and it's completely understandable. But the, like I say, the script it is sharp as a tack, and just stamped with his style all over in it. It is, and I don't know. It's funny because, like you said, some of the things that he says are quite vile, and a lot of the things that he says and actually does in the script feel like a shock factor, but it fits. Yeah. If that makes so, like some other, you know, like with other kind of films that throw shock factor things in, you will literally say, "Oh God!" Literally, you're just playing for shocks. But he writes these characters so that the shock factors are shocking, but they fit with the people. Yeah, and it just all feels authentic. Well, that's that's exactly it. I mean, one of the worst lo- or most shocking lines is Owen's four hundred dollar abortion. We'll split it, <laughs> and. In, a lot, in the hands of a lot of people, that would be just, oh, they, oh they're thrown out there for shock's sake. But Owen, by this point, is established as so much of an absolute douche, you completely believe, you go, yeah, that's completely on brand for him. Yeah. It literally is, like, you're correct. That's one of the things that I've wrote down is, is you know, in normal circumstances, we might be like, oh, you've literally just put that in there to shock us, but it's so on point with his character and everything that he's done up to that point and obviously when we do get to meet his grandma violet um again this is clearly a family thing because she's just as vile in what she comes out with and just as blunt and it's like the brutally honest characters and they're the worst kind of people i hate brutally honest people i'm just being brutally honest with you you've been a cock it's just an excuse to be a cock, and that's what it feels like with these two. I also feel that um, specifically Violet, so the grandmother, she's just a massive hypocrite, mm-hmm. but obviously got mental health yeah. issues. The, like, like the fact that she, yeah, but like hers, a, like the fact that she sees, like the gods telling her to kill her entire family. She, she delivers a line that I think is really awesome but horrible at the same time. Again, it's just that vileness of it all. Like when she's t- talking to the pastor and she's talking about how God told her to set, like, kill the family and none of them should have survived. Mm. And while she like she could hear her daughter screaming and she was getting pleasured by that, I'm like, you are twisted. Yeah. Twisted. Aye. I've got to say though, we've jumped onto we have jumped onto Owen's grandmother and Owen's family. We need to just take a step back. And even though this person in this film for like less than seven <laughs> minutes, I think MGG Matthew Gray Grubler pops up as usual in um, Ricky Bates film. And I call him Ricky. I get that from somewhere. I don't know where it's come from. Is it just because I think I'm his best friend? Th- yeah. <laughs> Is that why he left Twitter? Is that why he's not got a Twitter account? <laughs> is it because you? Is it because you believe you're his best friend? You're like every ten minutes, hey Ricky, what are you doing? <laughs> Richard Bates Junior. He uses Matthew quite a lot, and they, I I adore Matthew very His performances are spot on every time. In this, he plays. Um... Isabel's brother. Is it brother? brother? Oh, I thought it was yeah. friend. For no, some reason. no, brother. Oh, yes, yeah. so it's, it, 
it is confusing though because she says that she's his daughter's godmother and you're yeah. like mm, you're his auntie yeah but fair enough must, um, i think an american must be really important in america to be godparents well i mean according to their family you know being a goody two shoes is really important because he's he's of the opinion that Violet is that you know she's basically been a whore because she slept with somebody before marriage. Mm-hmm. There is a very strong theme of religious people not either not very nice as in Pearl's case or kind of not very nice but innocently so in Matthew Gregory's case of Caleb. Yeah. So again, that heavy religion versus mental health commentary, as is the case with a lot of horror films. Talking about sex, <laughs> as we were. I'm not a massive fan of sex scenes in films. I don't always see the point in them, but the sex scenes in this film are fantastic. And it's a bit weird, really, but I, like, I enjoy it, yeah. You know, we get a full-on book shot of Adrian. I forgot his name for a second there. Um, which oh, is interesting but yeah. just the lack of passion and emotion and actual wanting to be together between these two characters is ridiculous <laughs> I love that when she's like what's wrong Mike? what's taking you so long and he's like it's literally been 30 seconds and she's like yeah exactly <laughs> and it's like wow like can you imagine Chris can you imagine being in that position <laughs> it's just like we well, able to go 30 seconds Just the idea of, I knew it, can you imagine actually having sex with someone where you're literally just thinking like, oh my god, it's not even a minute and I just want this to end right now. But there's that, and then there's the scene where he has the fit, uh-huh. and uh, while she's having sex with him, and she's actually starting to get into it, <laughs> she's all like, oh yeah, mm. and then he's rolling all over, and it's like, oh shit, I'm, I'm enjoying someone having a fit on there. <laughs> anyway, the sex scenes are really funny. And I think that's really clever to make them something that should be really intimate and passionate actually quite funny. And to make you as an audience kind of go, oh, God, yeah, I relate. Yeah. I can relate, kind of, somewhat. I mean, I, I can't personally, but I, I get I get the point you're making. What, are you saying that I'm boring in bed? No. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this is, <laughs> this is not the time or place to be doing this, I don't think. Oh god, this is what Richard does to you though, he makes you think about things. Just to you, to you. It makes makes me think about myself. I know, we can see. (laughs) I mean, you're touching yourself up right now. I literally am. And again, talking about touching yourself up, Violet masturbated and Pearl masturbating. It's like the masturbation central in their house. Well, it's because they've, yeah. no, they've got no one to do, have they? And they've got no other companionship other than each other. So when someone new comes in or when she's getting off on Mr. Pr- I've seen TV preachers before. He's not the best TV preacher out there. She could have been masturbating to something far better than that. But, yeah. She could have. It's just the whole idea of that, that hip- hypocrisy mm. of the way she's so, you ho, you Jezebel. You know, you're a sinner, and then she goes off and kind of twitches herself up. Well, maybe she um, figures that if if someone else isn't doing it to her, it's all right. It's not, you know. She's doing it to the voice of God. Yeah. It's still in religion, though. I do believe masturbation is a sin. I wouldn't know. 
Yeah, I think it's like thou shalt not pleasure thyself. I'm sure it's the same religion. I'm sure it is. Moving on, I just think there's so much to cover in this film, and I just think it's it's just so dark, and it's so funny, and it's so well written, performed, directed. The soundtrack. Let me just stop. Like again, the soundtrack on this film is so. It feels like so juxtaposed. Juxtaposed, a position, a position. <laughs> Juxtaposed. Yeah, juxtaposition. <laughs> it go. seems so. It seems kind of juxtaposed to what's going on in the film. It felt like like nice, like some of the songs are like nice and soft, and and it just feels like it's trying to fuck with you mm. and your mind and the way you should be feeling about it. And I think, in fact, this film fucks with how you should feel about people. Mm. Because even though you hate Owen, you love Owen as well at the same time, because you can see he's trying to get himself better. And you hate Violet, but you also love her because she's fucking insane, and you know that something's happened to her to make her the way she is. If we if we do ever manage to reach the universe of Richard Bates Jr., I need to know why there was so much yellow in this film. I only noticed it this time round. I've never seen it before. Chris seemed to think it might have been like a spring... Fire. Yellow. Yeah, fire is yellow. It's orange. Uh, girl, it's yellow. You need to get your coloured eyes Chris seemed to think that it might have been in the theme of spring and blossoming. Considering considering the main story arc is with her getting pregnant and having to go back... I think there's a whole birthing kind of newborn rebirthing kind of thing in there. There's just so much yellow. It could be. Um, it could be that. I don't know. Um, all I know is two things. If we ever reach out to Richard Bates Jr., I'm demanding, demanding he makes a film in Casper Shields in the lead because he, I think he'll just he'll do something weird that no one else has ever done. Think of Brooke Shields in Freeway, Amplify It by 20. Okay. He could do that. He could do that. And second of all, Trashfire definitely deserves to win comedy horror because it's not, yeah, it's not your typical comedy horror. Uh, it's it's an actual great film, great story, great cast. It's got something to say. And I fucking love it. Next we'll go with my pick. I've been waiting a long time to talk about this film and I didn't want to go in like I did with ghost stories and just start babbling away whilst not giving every reason why I love this film and it's going to be a lot to unpack but I'm going to try. My pick is 2017's Tragedy Girls by Tyler McIntyre. Can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop. Can I get more enthusiasm? Skanky bastards. <laughs> Quick synopsis for anyone who isn't aware or hasn't seen me ramble on about this on Twitter 12 million times a day. Tragedy Girls follows the story of Sadie and Michaela, or MK for short. They are true crime podcasters or bloggers in their school and they're just not getting the hits that they want. So in an effort to drum up some attention to their blog, they decide to capture a serial killer, Lowell, and learn his ways and learn how to be serial killers so that they can start getting all these likes, they can get the notoriety, they can get the fame and eventually be known as the best true crime bloggers 
of their time and it's all going well it's all fantastic they've been best friends since school you get the hint that there might be a bit of a dark past involved in them and there is as you find out at the end um until sadie starts dating the sheriff's son and mk gets severely jealous and it all kind of goes a bit tits up from there tragedy girls is everything it has some of the best dialogue i've ever seen in a film its soundtrack is so fucking good the actors are amazing in it the humor is amazing in it the deaths are amazing in it the plot is incredible it just turns every trope on its head while still managing to honor it in the best way possible it gives the best horror references not just throwing out your halloweens and your nightmare on elm streets you've got your martyrs in there you've got your argentos in there it's incredible and i am open to discussion about tragedy girls as of now interesting how quiet both chris and i were when you were delivering that um explanation i was letting her go through it because she loves the film so much and i can't blame her tragedy girls is absolutely brilliant oh thank you well this was like my third watch of tragedy girls and i've got to be honest it doesn't get any better than this i knew it i fucking it literally knew it. doesn't because <laughs> i adore this film so so much it's incredible it's hard not to just run with how incredible it is and just list every yeah. scene in the film everything they say everything they do it's not just a comedy horror it's actually kind of important in its message as well in the kids now will do anything for fame even to the point of killing people <laughs> if that's how you, i mean if you look on tiktok and with tiktok especially now how many murders do you see on tiktok these days hundreds of thousands just for that fame but what i love about it is like you said it's it's not just an outright like comedy horror it's, it's again something that's got a message to deliver what i really like i love films that do this is we shouldn't root for these girls they're baddies they're bad bad people they do bad bad things and we sit here going like you know like when they're attacking big al we're worried <laughs> that he might get them and it's like hang on they're attacking him so why are we worried for them we should be like wanting him to survive yeah I'd just like to point out that while I love the film, I don't root for them at any point. I think they're awful, awful people. I still root for them. I absolutely do. And it's kind of got that, which ultimately is one of the factors in driving them apart towards the end of the film, is that you've got those class factors as well involved in that um, MK is really rich and her parents will just do anything for her. She's got total privilege and Sadie just is like trailer trash basically so you've kind of got that element of the craft in there and that's, oh, that's one of the best things about this film as well it incorporates every other girl film that you can think of and just makes it that little bit better so it takes into account like clueless and mean girls and the craft and just makes it horror i mean i know i know the craft's horror thing i love about it as well with the relationships between them essentially sadie and michaela are a couple yeah absolutely let's face it the way she reacts when she starts going out with jordan because I love the soundtrack for this. The track that plays just after Michaela and Sadie have their huge bust up when they go their separate ways. And the songwriter wrote that for her best friend who's just been dumped. And there's no dumping at that point in the relationship wise in the film apart from the fact that Michaela has been. Michaela has been dumped relationship wise by Sadie. And not just as a friend. There is a romantic 
angle between those two people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see that. Absolutely. And essentially at the end when, you know, Sadie chooses MK over Jordan and everything else. I kind of think MK's got a right to be jealous and disappointed with Sadie because Sadie is actually quite demanding of MK. So she makes her kill her, her ex-boyfriend, even mm. though MK is very much like, I still like him. She makes a kill him. But the second MK says, oh, no, we need to get rid of yours. And he's like, no, 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 no. Can we just quickly talk about MK's ex-boyfriend? Toves. Oh, my God. It's one of the funniest fucking scenes in the film. He's like this brooding... <laughs> <laughs> he's, ba- he's basically an aftershave commercial. <laughs> he's, he's there to go, well, you know... If this helps grow, then you gotta water it. <laughs> I, I feel like I have to be here for the people. <laughs> if so you're funny. not, if you're not in the now, then you're in the past, <laughs> and the past is yesterday's tomorrow. <laughs> to, to the point where MK is so enamoured with him that she snogs him as he's dying because she just can't resist him. Yes, I actually like him. I love the fact out of the blue, he's just like when they've asked if he can retweet, um, she's like, can you retweet us? And he says so, and he's like, I'm no hero. <laughs> like, what? Just before we we see his demise and MK is trying to get him to leave the house, I don't know whether it's just like stupidity or whether it's like a play on like how self-absorbed these people are. But the fact that she's parked literally at the end of his driveway on the phone to him, making noises, and he's looking around like, what is this? And he doesn't see her at all. I'm just like, is that just like bad ideas or is he just that self-involved? He probably is just that self-absorbed with his bike. Yeah, and... can't imagine it being someone like MK, so he won't, just won't notice her. Yeah. But, but anyway, back to MK and Seder. So yes, Seder is very demanding of MK. And then the second, the second she gets the opportunity to actually have everything that MK has kind of already had or got, she would she dropped her like that. Seemingly, seemingly. Well that poor old Sadie though, you're forgetting the amount of hand jobs she had to give. <laughs> that opening scene is amazing because straight away you know she's she's calling him basically a little bitch for not going and investigating it. But he's been quite sensible at that point going, I I don't really want to go outside. My favourite thing in the opening that I say I've seen this a couple of times now, and I've never noticed before. Do you see the smile come across her face when she hears that noise outside the car and she yes. realises he's yeah. actually out there after however many attempts to actually lure him in? Because just for an explanation, if you haven't seen the film, which is a fucking criminal if you haven't, but um, Sadie is trying to lure Lowell by acting like a damsel in distress, get, making out with a boyfriend, as you would in a horror film, in the middle of nowhere, and they're trying to lure him in to capture him. Um, but quite sensibly, like I say, the guy does not want anything to do with it, and he's kind of pressured into it by... Well, he is pressured into it by Seda to go out and investigate so that Lowell will appear. But yes, I have noticed that smile on her face before, and the music in that opening scene is totally scream. Nick Cave all over that song as they're making out in the car, I think. I did like the when they do get Lowell and he nuts Michaela. Mm-hmm. Her responses. Michaela's responses <clears throat> throughout this film, actually, are, are my favourite thing. She is my favourite character. Yeah, agree. Uh, shout out to Alexander Shea. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is my favourite character. She's 
so funny. She literally plays like, there's that switch, you know, where she gets pissed off. So she could be really, really cutesy and girly, but the second she gets pissed off, like it's really kind of aggressive. So you can see that there's that like really dark, like side of her. But she plays everybody to her strengths as well. Like with her parents. I pissed myself. This, it's so even funny. I'm just going to say it. The scene where she she gives her dad a pancake yeah. and, waffle, and then she does this laugh. And I'm like sat on my sofa and pissing myself. Because I'm just like, that is so funny because it's like something you see off a really cheesy 80s advert or something yeah. where family, the family are desperately trying to be happy. Well, that's the but thing, isn't it? That, that's the thing. Her, her lifestyle is that when... Sadie's on her bed, like crammed for room with a laptop while they're planning out the next murder, and she's like got a foot dipping in pool. It, it just shows the two lives completely. So she does have this like happy go lucky kind of relationship. But it does make you wonder with how quickly Michaela snaps as to who's leading who. Because when she's speaking to Lowell, Lowell's saying, Well, you know, she's this is all her, this is all on her. She just wants to use you to get what she wants. But is she using Sadie? And it does ultimately end up being a two-way thing where they both need each other to do this. And they always have, as you find out, when you find out that they killed Jordan's mom when they were younger. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the death scenes oh. in this as well. Well, because while the film is ridiculously layered, layer upon layer upon layer... Layered. At times, you can't resist the sheer brilliance of a visceral death scene. And this has them in abundance. Very Final Destination-esque, as they reference. Mm -hmm. With the initial woodshop murder, where it looks like a bizarre bizarre accident. So they have to cut her up and stick her head on the uh, rotator pole. And even Big Owls, where she pulls the pin out of the weight rack and the weight falls weight falls on the head she goes oh doesn't look like an accident this time I'm sitting there thinking it does I would completely believe that this has this has been an accident with Tobes' death as well that could be conceived as an accident and but obviously the woodshop one where they just rip a limb from limb is brilliant so in the real world Toby's death could not be seen as an accident for they stab him several times in the chest trying to get his heart that wouldn't have happened from a motorcycle accident. You don't accidentally get stabbed 12, 13 times. It wouldn't, and the police know this. They're just trying to make it look like an accident, and they know that if it looks a little bit like an accident, they can report it as an accident. That's what I love about the second death, though, the fact that they go, like, this does look like an accident. Mm. So we really need to try really hard to make it not look like an accident. So hacking her up and stuff. I love that scene where they're hacking away, they're, they're messing about, and then the janitor walks in, and they both just freeze and look at him, and he kind of carries on, empties his bin, and walks out. And not, they're both just like, okay. Not the moment when she recognises Michaela because she's got the same shoes on. <laughs> That's the thing. For, for a group of ki- for two killers, they're hugely inept at point. They're leaving evidence all over the crime scenes. Well, they're just learning. That's the point. When, when Jordan sees the blood on Michaela's shoes, and she's just like, heavy foot. And he's like, no, nah, that, is that how it works? That's not how it works, is it? And then when you say, I love, 
I love Michaela's just attitude. But Jordan's like, oh, if she needs, um, if if Sadie needs an alibi, she can always say she was watching a, a film with me and Argento. film and she's going, she's going like, Argentina? <laughs> like, ice cream? I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> and I don't care. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, I love. I do really love that character. Like, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Both of them, when they when they get on the social media platform and when they're in the you know the camera and stuff, they just become total narcissists. And it, the show that they put on is just hilarious in itself. I mean, that they got away. I mean, spoiler alert: they get away with everything, and they do manage to go off, and they're just going to start all this shit again, which I'm praying would lead to a tragedy, girls too, because I would <gasps> fucking be here for that, absolutely, one thousand percent. But the fact they get away with it, it's just—I know you don't root for them, but I do root for them. I want I, maybe that's coming from a a feminist angle, sort of thing, that just because the women, I want them to win. No matter how bad they are, because that's not a very good feminist point. No, I know, I know. I would call evil women to rule the world. No. That's how it should be. I'm joking, I'm joking. (laughs) But you are right, yeah. The the, the idea that you want them, to me, a new fair, the majority of this group (laughs) want the girls to get away with what they've done, even though you can't even justify the people that they've killed because they're not bad people. Oh, no, Sylvia were a cunt, no. Sylvia is, but 126 students at school have not done anything wrong to them. (laughs) Big Al, (laughs) that other teacher will just call them out for, um, you know, using social media. Yeah, but she's been ragging on them all year, so, you know. That's the thing, no one, not one of them, apart from Lowell, deserves to actually die in this film. I say, it's great, but I just can't. It genuinely annoys me they get away with it at the end. Oh, it's a good job it's not real then, isn't it? Well, well none of these are real. We may well not bother if that's the case. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to summarise this because I'm sure I've gone way over my time. Oh, but there's just something that we need to say. Okay. We, I've just got to say it. The prom scene, mm-hmm. the moment they both put their mask on together and the back reunited... That, like, my favourite, I think it is my favourite scene in the entire film, when we've got that dreamy, trippy them two going down the hall with all the lights. Yeah. Swinging and dancing with these masks on, and it looks so weird, but they look so hot. Okay. Like, legitimately, <laughs> you're like, I, like, I'm in love with both of these, them girls at that moment. I don't know, I shouldn't judge them just on how they look, but I do at that moment. But they've got masks on, so it's all right. See, I think the most poignant scene in that comes before when they're up in the rafters and Jordan is pleading with Sadie to go with him. It's like, please, come on, you don't need her. She's just using you. You know, this ain't you. You've changed. And it's just where she turns around and she goes, oh, Jordan, you don't know me at all. And then just hangs him. And you're like, what the fuck? So good. So good. And it's a message about embracing who you are. And you don't have to change. You just have to be the person you are inside. The serial killer you are inside. Exactly, exactly. All I'm going to say, you can summarise, but I just need to summarise with your one thing. I f- fucking love this film and I hate you for picking it. Thank you, Kanye. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. To summarise, I can't put into words how much I love this film. 
you know, it's only been out since 2016 and it is one of my favourite films of all time. It's in my top five favourite films of all time of any genre. And, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't pump it up anymore. You just need to pick this as your favourite horror comedy. Right, so that just leaves mine, my pick then. Final one of the day. Can it live up to the previous two, The Brilliant Trash Fire and Tragedy Girls? Yes, yes it can, because it's fucking brilliant. And it also begins with a T. It, it is 2010's brilliant, spectacular, amazing, Tucker and Dale versus Evil from Eli Craig. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Indeed, it deserves all the whoops. Break it down. In case you haven't seen this masterpiece, I'm going to break it down for you. Put it back together. So, Taylor Labine and Alan Tudyk play Tucker and Dale, the titular characters. Two big, huge-hearted, well-meaning, lovable rednecks. I'm going to call them rednecks. You know it's a discriminatory term, because that's the easiest way to sum them up. Or hillbillies. Or hillbillies. So, two hillbillies who are going out into the woods to fix up Tucker's recently purchased holiday home. On their way up there, they run into a bunch of typical college students on their way up to the lake for a party to get high and drink and skinny dip and all the things that college students in horror films love to do. And a series of truly unfortunate misunderstandings paves the way for a quite splatterific clash of cultures yes on which we actually support the underdog for once the unloved the much maligned hillbillies in an absolutely beautiful flip of normal genre tropes this is why this film is so good as well it's not just the fact that it's absolutely funny this is out of our three choices the only film that's actually you would consider a true comedy uh, over yeah. tra Tragedy Girls or Trash Fire. This one is a comedy film with a director and writer who know horror like the back of their hands, who can exploit all the tropes of the genre and make you laugh spectacularly at the same time. We tick off all the boxes. We have the hillbilly meeting at the old gas station. <laughs> We, have, we we tick all the film. We tick off Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We have the them kidnapping air, air quotes course. kidnapping poor Allison, played by Katrina Bowden. And then we have a whole standoff. We have a, we go basically go straw dogs, and the whole with them playing the role of the set upon party in their shack. And the fact I was saying that they reel off. All these horror tropes, without feeling cheesy, you don't sit there and watch and go, oh, they've had to jam that in. Everything works absolutely brilliantly organically yeah. in order to push this comedy along. Agreed, absolutely. I do love Trash Fire. I obviously love Tragedy Girls, but as Chris said, I would agree that this pick is the most out-and-outright comedy of the lot. It is here for laughs. And... And it's got, a, it's got a sweet story at its core as well. Again, about being yourself and people accepting you for who you are. It's got a Romeo and Juliet style story with yeah. Dale and Alison. They meet star-crossed lovers and fall in love while two warring factions <laughs> try to tear each other apart. 
that initial gas station scene is fucking hilarious. Like, it, it creases me up every single time. Um, Dale wants to go and speak to Alison, uh, doesn't know her yet. And Tucker's being the supportive friend that he is, bless him. Just be yourself. Just, you know, just go over and say, hi, how are you doing? And have a laugh sort of thing. So he, just, he goes over and introduces himself and he goes, hi, I'm Dale. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just remember, laugh at everything she says. <laughs> hi, get, what are you doing? Get a gas? <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant See, scene. That sums up the entire film in one scene. It sums up the whole Tucker and Dale relationship with Dale as a slightly downbeat, doesn't love himself hillbilly. Tucker is this, no, you know what? Believe in yourself. You can be anything you want to. And the whole culture clash between the two factions. Everything about this film is laid bare brilliantly in that first interaction. And the the setups as well in terms of the misunderstandings that happen along the way, like with... Took her cutting into a tree trunk and accidentally cutting it. <laughs> Why'd you cut it through a beehive? I didn't plan on it. Um, he cuts in, it's a wasp nest, sorry. He, yeah. he chainsaws into a wasp nest and then they start flying out and he's just running around with the chainsaw like fucking leather face while these kids are freaking out. So funny. Maybe we should let Mercer have a little bit to say. No, because I can see the look on his face. Mercer didn't get to speak in this section. <laughs> So I obviously comedy is very subjective, um, and I do disagree with both of you in regards to this feeling like the out and out comedy film. For me, Tragedy Girls is the out and out comedy film. Okay. Um. So, but I think that's just a matter of opinion. Yeah. Obviously. Um. You know, I think as a film. I, I did laugh the least at this one. But again, my humour is very different to yours, which we're very much aware of. I've got a sense of humour. You <laughs> laugh at anything. The fact that you think this um, is... A, the fact that you think this is the one that's least the comedy speaks absolutely volumes. There must be literally everyone listening to this pod going, what are you possibly on about? I, I, do, I do feel that's a, a bold statement to say that this has... I don't laugh at everything. <laughs> Bullshit. No, I don't. I don't can, laugh at everything. Just in a room with you and all you get every 30 seconds is... Oh, 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 oh I'm sorry oh, I annoyed you with my friendship. But remember, I, let's just go back to my very first sentence, which is comedy is very subjective. So my kind of humour is a lot more fulfilled by things like the black comedy aspect or the tragedy girls kind of like cheesy and relatable comedy i just personally found tucker and dale the least funny of the three which makes it the least comedic film for me but remember remember i also don't find things like Shaun of the dead funner or what we do in the shadows funner so all things that a lot of people do find funny i just don't that's fine to feel that way, but you literally turned around and said that we just laugh at anything. So back it up with reasons, but don't just go, well, you lot just laugh at anything, because that's not true. That's not true okay, at all. So I, I walked out of 100 bloody acres. Don't you tell me I laugh at anything. I walked out of Friday Fest. Back to the film, though. I've not got any intentions of ripping the film apart, just so that you're aware. What I do enjoy about the film 
what I love about the film is Tucker and Dale, which is obviously a very good thing considering that it is a film about them. Yeah. I think their relationship is amazing. And there is there are things I do find funny. So I'm not saying I don't I didn't laugh at the film or didn't find it funny. What I'm saying it was the least funny for me. My favourite scene in the entire film is when the police officer comes and they're dragging that body away and he's trying to explain what's happened. <laughs> That's as I <laughs> poor old Tucker and his his whole car to be draggled. Oh. I just want to get my cabin in yeah, order. Yeah, it's all kind of, oh my God, what, could this day get any worse kind of demeanour? When the cop to, officer, these kids showed up, just started killing themselves all over my property. <laughs> I found it funny because just prior to that, he'd had a conversation with um, Dale and said, oh, what am I going to do? So these kids have just shown up and started killing themselves. No one's going to believe that. And then when he <laughs> That's the only thing you can say because it's the truth. In his obviously in his eyes, they're not killing themselves on purpose. But so see, I did find some things from that. I also what I find from here, and I think this I'm hoping this is a casting decision. The fact that they hired people who clearly look older than college students yeah, to play absolutely. college students. Because I that so things like that I enjoy that like overtly like, oh no, we're making a horror film and typically, you know, we have 30 odd year olds playing 18 year olds um, so that's what we're going to do We've also got in this film uh, two cast members from Final Destination 3 We've got the friend who dies on the roller coaster at the beginning and, and Tanning Bed Tannenberg Girl which is the fucking, that is the scariest Final Destination death in Final Destination 3 is the Tanning one oh. here but I digress the deaths in Final Destination, those are Final Destination, yes, are awful. But to be fair, the deaths in this are not much better. Accidentally throwing yourself into a wood chipper is that quite is bad. Hailing yourself. Twice, two of them managed to impale themselves. I love how oblivious Tucker is to that death when he goes back to the cabin and is talking to Alison and is like, well, you know, I, I cut into this wasp nest and your friend, he, he must have been like allergic or something because he looked terrified <laughs> as he were running away. And so he didn't even know he's been impaled. Oh, it's also funny. That's it. As you say, it's that complete lack of awareness of what of what's going on for the first half film, where they are just oh these bizarre, these weird college students who are just this cult, who are just suicide pact, <coughs> killing themselves, and this absolute no idea that it's the fact they're targeting them. Yeah, I didn't make many notes for Tucker and Dale because whenever I watch it, I just go along for a ride. It's just one of those films that you can just switch off with kind of thing in it and just enjoy while it's got as you say that core message outside of and a really nice message you can just be yourself and it will be it will be enough i say even tucker at the end gets he survives he doesn't so many films would kill off one of the two of them yeah if you had this film with a pair in of those two in a non-comedy horror one of them would probably got killed yeah, got killed off yeah because of their relationship but even Tucker yeah. manages to get through it. I agree. A straight horror film would have seen one of them die. Um, and and that just wouldn't have worked. Because then we couldn't have had that relationship move on with Dale and Alison. Is she called Alison? Alison. Oh yeah, Alison or Ali. If I'm being honest, not to, not to dull the shine of this episode, 
Tucker and Dale is my least favourite. It does very much. And I've said this to you before in the past. I've seen the film several times. My opinion doesn't change after each one. I find it entertaining with the accidental deaths and the misunderstandings. But then that way, that like after a while, I'm like, oh, I'm a bit bored of this aspect now. And then I don't like the transition of Chad's character. Is it Chad? Yeah. Chad's character. I don't like... I get it. The more I watch it, the more I kind of get the crazy of him. And obviously he's just... He is the problem and he is the one who would have been a serial killer regardless. But it just... I just don't... It just doesn't mesh well as the two halves of the film for me. So I think it's got two good outsides, but I don't like them together as much as the other films. When I first saw Tucker and Dale, I was not a fan. I hated it. And I think we actually left early or because we, we watched it at Fright Fest, didn't we? We, we did. We stayed all the way through. We, I it think... was 100 bloody acres we left, which was a similar film. Well, I didn't, I didn't like Tucker and Dale the first time I watched it anyway. I really didn't. And I, I, I swear I saw it at Fright Fest, but I might be wrong. But I gave it a second chance and the more I watched it, the more... I realised it is, it is quite a clever film for a comedy horror. Like, everything is set up and everything is referenced in other acts. So it's not just your typical bang out, you know, here's some laughs, here's some deaths kind of thing. It's got, it's, it's got reasoning behind it. And I think that's why I did enjoy it more on rewatches. And I'll agree with you there. I hated Tucker and Dale when I first saw it. I'm not going to say... It's a, a, a film I 100% love, but if I'm not, not going to watch it, if that makes sense. So if it was on, I'll watch it. I'm quite happy to watch the film. I do find it entertaining. I don't find it satisfies me in the way I want it to, but I don't dislike it. Okay. And that's fair. That's I fair enough. I say, not all films are for all people. And that's fair enough. So... The sum this would have though, because I do absolutely love it. If you want a film that is completely horror literate with a brilliant relationship between not only not only bromance, but also on the romance front as well, and you want that wrapped in brilliant comedy set pieces, classic misunderstandings, great slapstick, then I highly recommend you vote for Tucker and Dale versus Evil as your favourite comedy horror. Because then we may get that final, finally get that sequel that everyone has been begging for. Right, that's it. All three films discussed. All three, despite the way it might come across, all three films are very good and all three films are very worthy of winning this episode. Just want to be clear on that. Um, and we all want it because it's the first one of the year. So it kind of Jesus up for how we're going to keep going. Um, so as as always, we'll get once the episode's out, we'll get the voting malarkey out so you can vote. Um, and yeah, let's see where this takes us. Um, I guess that's the end of the episode. So we'll say us goodbyes. And then Chris, do you want to give us our sexy... Um, I'm going to say TNCs as I rub my breast, but I don't mean TNCs. <laughs> what do I mean? No, you. you our, co- our contact info. It's not T. It's not T. Yeah, it's not T's and C's. We're not forcing anyone. To, yeah, we're not forcing anyone to sign their soul away. Well, 
As a, well, not yet. If you want to reach us, as always, you can reach us at SpitGrades on both Twitter and Instagram. We are at I Spit on Your Grades on Facebook. And if you still email in this futuristic 2021, if you are still using email, you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. And please, if you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye. So goodbye. I'm going to say goodbye. So goodbye. I'm going to say hello. Hello, everyone. You say goodbye and I say hello. Goodbye, goodbye. It's over. You're lying on a cold shoulder. Let's do whatever to forget her. She is leaving. You just let her because you're better off. Come over If you don't wanna then we won't stay sober Penny's working at the bar We can go dress just how we are Forget that girl who broke your heart